Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. I'm Tracy from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Are you a small business owner or even someone who dreams of entrepreneurship? Then check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from iHeart Podcasts and Intuit QuickBooks. Join hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres as they interview entrepreneurs sharing insights around starting and nurturing a small business. You won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And not just the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Planning your next trip? Choice Hotel's family of 22 brands has over 7,400 locations and the perfect hotel for any traveler you want to be. Like a Cambria Hotel, serving up locally inspired craft cocktails for all my folks who maybe want to meet up and talk about Mad Royals. Check into a Radisson Hotel with flexible workspaces for you strivers who listen during business travel. Or a Comfort Hotel with free hot breakfast, family-friendly pools, and big spacious rooms for the parents who listen with their kids and need a little retreat. What are you waiting for? Join Choice Privileges and start earning points toward your next stay. Find a stay for any you when you book direct at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. I'm editor Candice Gibson, joined by staff writer Jane McGrath. Hey, Candice. Jane, I think that if I could go any place in the world, it would be Easter Island. Really? It's a beautiful place. Have you been? I haven't. I've just seen pictures, but it looks beautiful. I am kind of obsessed with it. And I was looking up videos of Easter Island the other day, Mm -hmm. and I stumbled upon this fabulous piece of information, and that is that Easter Island has its own marathon. And now I love, love running long distances. I love half marathons and full (laughs) marathons. And I'm very slow. I won't profess to be the first of the finish line (laughs) or even like the 800th. But I don't think Mm -hmm. there'd be anything cooler than running around the Moai of Easter Island. And it's not that big of an island, actually. I was looking at it. I mean, uh, I I saw that it was about 64 square miles. And that's about, I mean, just to see as a point of reference, like, it's about the same size as Washington, D.C. It is itty-bitty. And furthermore, it is in the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. I think it's closest land neighbor, like I guess a big land neighbor, I think there are other islands smattered around nearby, but not too close by, would be Chile. And that is about 2,299 miles away. That's right. If you look at a globe, it looks like just a tiny little speck on the globe. And it's fascinating that people were able to find it as early as they did. Yeah, considering that these are the Polynesians who lived probably in South America. We're not quite sure where they came from. And we're not quite sure why they left. 
whether mm-hmm. there was some sort of dispute yeah. that arose or whether some got ambitious and wanted to start their own colony elsewhere. But because the Polynesians are such great sailors and yeah. navigators, they were able to make it to this island. We know that they sailed in wooden boats that were probably lashed together with reeds, yeah. wrapped really tightly like ropes. Mm-hmm. And they were probably adrift in the ocean for about two weeks before they hit land. Easter Island. And that was around 400 AD. And so, uh, we can understand how archaeological evidence can't really indicate, like, what exactly motivated, uh, these people because they were, they ended up being isolated on this island for so long. Furthermore, speaking of isolation, we're not sure how many went the first time. And when they arrived at Easter Island, we're not sure if they settled there because they had picked it, Mm -hmm. they knew it existed, and that was their final destination, or if they were so desperate, they picked any land that they could have seen. And regardless, they actually came very prepared. Uh, for for being ready to survive wherever they landed. Yeah, they had a type of leafy green with them to grow. They mm-hmm. had sweet potatoes One and of my bananas. Yeah. Oh, I know. Who doesn't love a sweet potato? Yeah. Gosh. Um, I think they also had a couple of chickens. Mm-hmm. And again, when they pulled up to Easter Island, I just I can't imagine how they must have felt because parts of Easter Island were just gorgeous, a very verdant paradise. I think that today archaeologists suspect that there may have been at one time 16 million palm trees, just, you know, in Eden in the middle of the ocean. But the part that they docked at was a less welcoming landscape. And that's the thing about Easter Island. As tiny as it is, this Mm -hmm. little triangle-shaped island, it has very diverse landscapes. It has white sandy beaches, and then it has these very jagged and forbidding cliffs. And it has a volcano. Volcanoes and palm trees. So who knows Mm -hmm. what they thought. But they set to task, and they did pretty well. They cultivated the land, and they increased their population, and they became a very sophisticated society. Yeah, and you can see how it was probably pretty hard at first, especially because they brought most of their sustenance with them, as we said. And what was actually on the island itself before they came there was not much. There were there were lizards, maybe, and insects. Um, but that, but they actually had to start from the ground up, mostly. Exactly. They were able to hunt dolphins and other mm-hmm. types of fish in the waters, but yeah. it's important to note that Easter Island is not just remote as far as people go and, and animals, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. There aren't very many nutrients in the water, or there weren't at that time, at yeah. least, and so not yeah. much could be sustained. So there were birds that would pass over, and mm-hmm. some people think that's how it got to be such a, a verdant little paradise, is that the the birds would bring seeds that they deposited and grew yeah, into and, forest. Yeah, and this is actually a point of contention about like how things got there and and um, etc. Because some historians claim like we're trying to figure out where the original people came from, and some historians claim oh these people came from Chile, obviously like that's the closest land. Um, but when explorers eventually stumbled upon the island, uh, European explorers, uh, a Polynesian on the ship was actually able to converse with uh, the people there. And so that's so they were obviously speaking a variation on Polynesian. So they think the people came from Polynesia. And so we could tell y'all about Easter Island all day. Yeah. And if you don't know much about it, you may be saying, okay, sure. So it's a tiny little island. <laughs> Things are green. People came from nowhere. Great. But <laughs> the really important thing about Easter Island is the Moai. Yeah. And ultimately, the Moai brought about the height of the civilization and then their very, very darkest hour. And Mm -hmm. the history of Easter Island, not just how they got there, because that part is interesting in and of itself, but it gets so haunting. And it really gives me chills Mm -hmm. every time I think about it. These people had a very specific religion and culture Mm -hmm. and um, their spirituality was manifested through art, you know, storytelling and string figures and sculpture. And when they got to Easter Island, the volcanoes and the quarries had 
all of this ash that was perfect for making sculpture. And so they made these giant heads Mm -hmm. and they're very stylized looking if you've never seen a picture of them i would encourage you to look up the easter island moai immediately And this is what people usually associate with easter island is these huge heads these huge heads and what i found interesting is that they're actually found other places like other other cultures did have something like this but it was the easter islanders who actually like they had the most sophisticated and the biggest and the most incredible ones. Well, and you have to wonder, too, I think they might have gotten bored. And there was a a sense of competitiveness among them because Mm -hmm. they would build these giant, giant heads. And just to give you guys an idea, average-wise, average they could weigh up to 82 tons and stand up to 32 feet high. They were huge. They were just giant heads. They didn't have necks, but they had these really long earlobes. And Mm -hmm. they were very stylized in their features with their long noses, and their eyes were sometimes ornamented with coral or obsidian. But they look very phallic. And perhaps archaeologists say that's because the population was always struggling to reproduce. Yeah. And they were so obsessed with fertility gods, I believe. They I were. Yeah. They were. So they, they could be phallic mm. in homage to fertility gods. Mm-hmm. And um, speaking of which, because the population was so challenged, they had to inbreed. And so yeah. even to this day, you'll find some Easter Islanders who have six toes on each foot. Isn't yeah, that's wild? very interesting. And I guess it also probably stems from the fact that they had a class system, even within this tiny island. Um, their population had a class of like an upper class and a, and a working class sort of thing, and uh, I imagine that contributed to separating how people bred. I think so, and when it came to the Moai, Mm -hmm. this was such a manifestation of of honor and spirituality. I think everyone was a participant, no matter the class. I don't know that for a fact, but I would assume that people would come together, and there was a very specific process with creating the Moai. Mm -hmm. The artist would start in the quarry and start you know, putting the rock together and carving it down and chiseling it, and essentially it would be sort of on a like a little block by the time he finished carving it, and they would create these deep rivets alongside the block. So finally, there was just like a tiny little sliver of stone that connected the head to the quarry. Mm -hmm. And this was the keel. And once they could sever the keel, they would lay the head on a series of of logs, we imagine. And archaeologists are in dispute about how they transported these heavy, heavy monoliths. Yeah, and it's sort of like the, the Stonehenge of, of Easter Island mm-hmm. because people are, historians are boggled by the fact how could these people have the technology and the, and the, and the ingenuity, I guess, to move these humongous structures, and that's like a huge feat. It is, and so people either imagine that about 70 men got together and pulled them mm-hmm. with ropes yeah. fashioned from parts of trees, or else they laid them on a series of logs in which mm-hmm. two layers of logs would be perpendicular to each other. They'd grease them with palm oil and they'd roll them on a platform. And I yeah. imagine this was such a painstaking process. I think that it could take up to two weeks to move the moai. It must be important to them. <laughs> exactly. It was yeah. very important to them because they put such labor into it. And their final resting spot were on ahu, or platforms. And the moai mm-hmm. faced inland toward the island. It was obviously meant to watch over the residents and to protect them. Yeah. So they put these around the perimeter, right? It's like, and so all of these around the perimeter were looking inward. Yeah. And we it's really think, interesting. We think over the course of 500 years, about 900 of them were carved. And mm-hmm. you can see where the artists got competitive because there were so many that were left unfinished in the quarry. Mm-hmm. And archaeologists found them later on. Um, ones that had a flaw, maybe, or ones that were broken, you know, whether in transit or whether in construction. They were just abandoned completely. And mm-hmm. You so can, they were perfectionists. Like they that. were perfectionists. This is, you know, how they were expressing their devotion to the gods, and they got bigger over time too. Yeah. They started out more modest, and then there was one that they call El Gigante, and it's so big. Of course, it's in the quarry. No one could possibly have moved it. Yeah. 
But herein lies the problem with what they were doing. Uh, yeah, so if we go back to how they transported them, they obviously, Candace suggested that they were using logs, and, and uh, it must have taken a lot. And obviously they made a lot of these moai, so they ended up cutting down a whole lot of trees. And this ended up being their huge flaw, their, their huge mistake. You're right, because over time, they had such an abundance of resources. I think yeah. that they used it throwing caution to the wind. Right. The and trees- today, we, we, we sort of think of trees as the most renewable resource there is. But, of course, like on that isolated island, yeah. um, they must have just used up. No, you're right. When you're living in isolation like yeah. that, when you use up your resources, no matter yeah. how renewable it is, if mm-hmm. you're not getting any more seeds to plant and you're right. not cultivating the landscape, it's over. And that's what happened because not only did they cut down all the trees, but they essentially caused all the topsoil on the island yeah. to wash away because yeah. the roots weren't there to hold it down. Furthermore, they were using the trees to make boats to go out and fish for dolphins and purposes. And this is especially sad to me is just that they couldn't make boats anymore. You know, they couldn't no. fish because they couldn't make bows because they didn't have trees. And what's worse than that, not only could they not fish, not only could they not grow crops, after they realized that they had destroyed their island and all the trees were gone, mm-hmm. they didn't have anything left to make boats with to flee the island. Exactly. Yeah. They were prisoners of their own making. Yeah. And that's when things got really dark and mm-hmm. really dangerous. People yeah. started starving. Some scholars posit that maybe some may have resorted to cannibalism. Yeah, that's true. And, and this is a point of contention because some... Some historians, notably um, Jared Diamond, uh, says that these um, islanders resorted to cannibalism after, like, other food sources uh, dwindled. Um, and he points to how uh, cannibalism is – their oral tradition, the islanders' oral tradition is rife with, with cannibalism and talk of it. And there's a little bit of archaeological evidence that – um, human bones were found in these pits of, of garbage that where these are the pits where they threw their, their food trash. And so, um, people like Jared Diamonds, uh, use this to, to say, oh, well, they must have resorted to cannibalism. Other historians are like, oh, no, there's not enough evidence to say that and we shouldn't say that unless it's, unless we're sure. And they say that maybe, you know, after people naturally died, they, there were rituals that people did with people's bones. We know that happened too. So it's a point of contention. So however you interpret these relics of bones, yeah. you can look at the things that are alongside them that, that date to around the same time, mm-hmm. and you see that this is the first time in Easter Island that they've manufactured weapons, like spears and arrows and things like yeah. this. So and we know that there was war, strife. Yeah, between the tribes, right? Yeah, and we mm-hmm. know that when they came, there were very, very few of them. Around 1150 AD, the population was somewhere from 7,000 to 9,000. Mm-hmm. 1,600, that was the height of the civilization. It was around 10,000 in population then. But then when things started declining and the population started dwindling, we see that people broke off into different clans. And essentially they were all fighting for the very tiny parcels of arable land that were left. And it was very, very difficult to stake a claim to this because I think that the Easter Islanders, they were respectful of their gods and they were respectful of women and children. Even the scholars who point to the fact that they may have resorted to cannibalism Mm -hmm. point out that Women and children never watched this happen, which I don't know if that means that men were the only ones who resorted to cannibalism, if they ate it in private away from women and children. But Mm -hmm. I think that they, you know, they were still trying to hold their civilization together. But it got harder and harder. And finally, there was this cult that rose out of all the distress and it was called the Birdman cult. Mm -hmm. And the premise was pretty simple. 
be the first person to grab the egg from a city turn's nest, and you're going to be the leader for 12 moons. And that may sound like a pretty simple feat, but the city turn's nests are in the highest cliffs on the island. So it would involve like a swim and then a rock climb and then a massive trek back to be the first person to have this egg. And if you lost this contest, it mm. was all bets off because the losers were typically expected to stab themselves with, wow. uh, with spears. So the Barmian cult does sound pretty drastic, but through this, there actually was a rebirth in arable land and cultivation of crops. I think the sweet potato reared its head again. Okay. So thank goodness for tubers. Yeah, and they were struggling. They were were still struggling to to, um, an extent, and this is when... You know, Europeans actually started stumbling upon these people, and they they finally had sort of contact and, and access to the outside world. But this ended up causing a lot of harm as well as good, um, because like obviously Europeans come uh, with their own uh, diseases, like that they have become immune to, and so they exposed uh, these diseases to uh, the islanders at the time, and so that e- hurt their population even more. And I think that when the 19th century came around. The mm-hmm. population had dwindled to only, gosh, just a little over 100, maybe 110 Easter Islanders. Yeah. And not only did the Westerners bring their diseases, they also brought their religion and sure. their ideas. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons that it's called Easter Island is because when it was first discovered, or I guess discovered by Europeans, was that it was Easter Sunday. Yeah, and it's interesting in that throughout the, the, I guess, the 19th century, eventually Christian missionaries did come over and start and start converting the islanders um, to uh, most of them, I guess. And they ended up sacrificing a lot of their culture, which is, of course, necessary when you sacrifice um, your religion. Right. When the Christian missionaries came, the exchange for giving up their religion and, and their culture, like their storytelling and their, their tattoos and mm-hmm. their, their yeah. everything else, was that they learned how to use their land to be a ranch, essentially. So they had livestock, and they were able to say, okay, so we have this very treeless land now that's not good for much, but it is good for using as a ranch. Yeah. And at this time, the Easter Islanders, I think, for the most part, they were very wearied with their culture. And when things had gotten really dark, they turned to the Moai and and rather they blamed them, blamed the gods for Mm -hmm. what had befallen them or whether they realized that it was their own, you know, very over-enthusiastic production of the sculptures that brought them down. They started knocking them down. Yeah, and, you know, like you said, like, we're not really sure why it happened. I, I remember reading one theory was that like when when uh, the population split into different clans one clan would destroy those those statues because they believe those are the source of their power the uh, the opposite clan's power mm-hmm. and so there's all kinds of, of theories about this but um, regardless it, it is interesting that they made such amazing feats and yet they ended up tearing it down they did and yeah. you, can, you can see where they they gouged out the eyes the yeah. and the obsidian eyes and they would arrange really sharp stones under where the head would fall mm-hmm. so that when they knocked it from the ahu the head would sever so they were in essence decapitating these gods mm-hmm. and it wasn't until archaeologists came back and tried to restructure them that mm-hmm. they were able to rehoist the moai and I think that today the Easter Islanders very much accept that as part of their culture culture. But another thing that they lost forever was their language, which was um, Rongo Rongo. And it actually came about from a very dirty trick that the Spanish pulled back in 1772. They came over and essentially they tricked the tribal leader into signing a treaty 
that turned Easter Island over to Spanish control. Yeah. So while that in itself was not diplomatic to any mm-hmm. extent, it inspired the Easter Islanders to create their own system of writing. And so yeah. there are still tablets today with Ranga Ranga that exist. And I think Easter Islanders continue to carve these little symbols, but no one knows what it means because, again, part of giving up the culture to Christian missionaries was mm-hmm. getting, you know, ranches established and yeah. getting their crops reestablished and essentially surviving. Mm-hmm. So they made that choice. That's interesting that the, both the introduction of writing sort of hurt and helped them sort of in a way like uh, it, it's certainly a nasty trick to be like, hey, this is what writing is. Write anything on this line and you're sacrificing your island unknowingly sort of thing. But it also brought about the fall of the Birdman cult, too, because mm. the tribal leader was able to reassert his power yeah. through writing. Yeah. So it's just such an interesting history. And the Easter Islanders are very, very proud of their history. I think that today there are maybe around 2,000 people on the island. Yeah, and their population is really rebounded, thankfully. They have, and they have, I think, joint citizenship with children so they can go back and forth. And mm-hmm. if you want to go to Easter Island, I think that you have to fly to Chile first, and then yeah. there are flights certain days of the week that go out to Easter Island. And, and that's what, it, I mean, it's awesome that Easter Island has a, has an, um, an airport now, and so people can come, and they, like, archaeologists can study, and tourists can, can find out the rich culture, and uh, it's pretty interesting. And, yeah, they have, Chile actually has control over it because they annexed it in 1888. We should probably mention that. But um, but the culture of Easter Island is still alive. The people are incredibly friendly. Mm-hmm. I think that um, people have written that as they've traveled to Easter Island, if hotel rooms are booked, you can stay with any Easter Island family in their mm-hmm. house, and yeah. they'll happily welcome you. So it's just it seems like such a great place to visit. I can't wait to go. Mark my words, 2010, if I'm not there, or someone come shake me, please. <laughs> so if you want to learn even more about Easter Island and other ancient civilizations, be sure to check out HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 
Looking to part ways with complicated, expensive, and uncertain shipping? Then give your business the edge it needs with USPS Ground Advantage Shipping from the United States Postal Service. Keep everything simple with clear upfront pricing and no unexpected surcharges. Keep things affordable with some of the lowest prices out there. And keep it all reliable with on-time ground shipments. It's time to turn shipping to your advantage. Learn how at usps.com advantage. USPS Ground Advantage. Simple, affordable, reliable. 